Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I've got a golden ticket. So catchy and so <laughs> annoying. It's both. It's both. It's both. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Sequim territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequim-Ulu. And Joe, I did not do a territorial acknowledgement this week because mm-hmm. uh, this is kind of set nowhere and also... Yep london and i uh-huh. <laughs> i think we should talk a little bit about place uh, when we get to the movies in particular yes yeah. yeah but yeah we're talking about charlie and the chocolate factory by Roald doll today Hmm. otherwise known as willy wonka and the chocolate factory if you're talking about the first film adaptation from 1971 and then we go back to charlie and the chocolate factory for the 2005 tim burton version <laughs> And, you know, it kind of makes sense for that uh, first film mm-hmm. because it really is about Willy Wonka. And it's almost weird that they don't do it in the second one because the second one is even more, like, about Willy Wonka. So Willy Wonka. Yeah. I did, like, a, a deep dive Wikipedia entry on that first film. Fun facts in there. Like, I didn't realize that the movie was a big old flop. I didn't realize that it started as basically a promotional item to sell (laughs) candy bars which totally makes sense but in hindsight you're like oh usually the movie would come before but okay yeah and that the rights were actually owned by the quaker oat company for a period of time (laughs) yeah fun stuff but with regard to the title and then of course we'll jump back to the book but it never even crossed my mind that they were like oh not only is charlie not like a really highly sellable thing like oh i'm gonna go see that charlie movie this weekend but it's coming out around the vietnam war yeah so apparently they were like yeah there's some big racial connotation no nos going on with this title let's willy wonka this be up (laughs) and i think the main reason the second film doesn't stay with that title is because tim burton was really adamant that he was adapting the book not the movie and he's like really hardcore about that and we're going to talk about all the ways that's not like entirely true but (laughs) (laughs) what you mean the fact that he shoehorns in christopher lee because he likes working with christopher lee seriously anyway okay so brenna let's assume that people have never read this classic of children's literature What is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory about? Okay, so Charlie and the Chocolate Factory first published in 1964 and then very importantly revised in 1973, which is the Mm. copy that most of us probably have access to. Oh, okay, okay. And we will talk about that, Joe. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, this is the story of 11-year-old Charlie Bucket, and Charlie lives in abject poverty this poor boy like reading the descriptions you just think oh this isn't he's poor this is he's dying of starvation yeah and i you know one of the reasons why i'm curious about the placelessness especially of the films is that to me this is actually like a very post-war britain pre like Mm -hmm. socialization of like you know pre like medicare and stuff Mm -hmm. pre-national health service story because like There was a lot of poverty in the UK and they made it post-war period. And that Mm -hmm. to me is really evoked here. So all of Charlie's grandparents live with the family, except that they live in basically like a room and all of his grandparents are bedridden. And so Mm -hmm. it's just like this incredibly close living situation and they eat cabbage soup like every every single day. Yeah. Charlie sleeps on the floor, the drafty floor. Yeah. Ooh, it just it sounds awful and you know it's very evocative in some ways where you think okay this is painting a portrait of a child who needs hope and yes mm. chocolate if it guarantees that he's not going to die but also it's just like oh man this is a grim dark start to the story you know it really is and the thing that charlie looks forward to every year is that on his birthday he gets a bar of chocolate and the family saves up and they give him the bar of chocolate and then he eats it himself he always offers it to everyone else in the family but Mm -hmm. they always say no they don't take it and like it's this whole sort of thing so chocolate is a big deal to charlie but it's also a rare once a year treat right so they live in the same town as this world famous chocolate factory that no one really understands how it works because some years ago, the factory closed down, fired all the staff, and seemingly the owner disappeared. And then one day, 
the gates are locked still. Nobody's gone in there, but mm-hmm. the factory is working again. So there's this mystery around this factory. Mm-hmm. I love that Doll just doesn't bother to explain the logistics. Like, okay, well, how does the chocolate get out of the factory then? You know what? Doesn't matter. Moving on. Moving None on. Your beeswax, Joe. None of your freaking beeswax. <laughs> it's not the point, but I, I was just like... Oh, right. It's a book for children. They're not going to care about that stuff. (laughs) So one day, Willy Wonka, the owner of the factory, announces that he has hidden five golden tickets in the Wonka Bar chocolate bar. And the people who find these five tickets will be allowed to come and tour the factory, which obviously is a big deal because Mm -hmm. nobody has seen inside this factory in so long. And the first four tickets are all found by horrible children. (laughs) Well, okay, so this is where I want to have a conversation later, because I'm unsettled by the messaging. (laughs) Like, I'm unsettled by a lot of the messaging. I actually think this is by far Doll's most problematic book. Folks, we've already covered the witches, had some issues with the fat phobia and Mm. ageism in there. But this book is just chock-a-block filled with stuff from like, ooh, this was a different time. And the the book is very, very certain that there are some children who are deserving of kindness and goodness, and there are mm-hmm. some children who are not. And all four yep. of our first children are those who are not. We have not. Augustus Gloop, who's the worst person in the world because, of course, he is fat. Yep. Then we have Veruca Salt, who is horribly spoiled. We have Violet Beauregard, who chews gum, which apparently is gross and terrible. And yeah, we- like you might as well just <laughs> shoot her into the moon because she chews gum. <laughs> and then we have Mike TV, who is addicted to television um and kind of a a jackass about it i guess (laughs) i will say his interactions with wonka are my favorite part of the book (laughs) pretty good so these four kids find all the tickets first and of course we know that charlie's going to find a ticket eventually Mm because we've read the title of the book um but this does get drawn out a bit he doesn't win it on his birthday chocolate but he does eventually find some money in the snow buy a chocolate bar it's not in that chocolate bar buys Mm. a second chocolate bar now we have the ticket i love how delayed and drawn out this is because yeah you're right we absolutely know he's going to get in there that's what the book is about and yet the just the tension of waiting for him to find this ticket i love it and grandpa joe is so happy he gets out of bed for the first time ever and agrees that he's going to be the one who takes charlie to the factory so the family is all very excited They go to the factory, and that's the whole first half of the book, by the way. Like, I know it sounds like I've really drawn this out, but that is literally the the first half of the book. Which is wild, because it it is so much about Charlie and the family's destitute financial and food situation, like, just all about the living on the margins of society. And then the back half is like, look at each fun, weird room and this dude (laughs) in the purple blazer. True. So, you know, you've probably either seen images of what happens in the factory or parodies of images of what happens in the factory. But basically, they go on this big tour. And as they move through the tour, we meet the Oompa Loompas, who, yes, mm-hmm. we will talk about oh pausing that. We're coming back there. Yeah. Um, but we also learn how each of the four children's sort of core weakness <laughs> becomes their demise. <laughs> you basically. know what? This is the original Hunger Games. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Except the only hungry one is the one who doesn't eat everything he sees. <laughs> we both know that's not what the Hunger Games was about either. <laughs> so basically, um, Augustus falls into a chocolate river because obviously he's trying to drink the chocolate river. Mm-hmm. Violet turns into a giant blueberry after chewing an experimental stick of gum because, of course, gum chewing is disgusting and girls shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Veruca tries to steal one of the nut testing squirrels because she always gets everything that she wants and is horribly spoiled and she falls down a garbage chute. Uh, And Mike, who is so obsessed with television, misuses the thing that Wonka uses to use television rays to transport chocolate around and gets shrunk down to the size of a TV character. Yep. And every time that happens, the Oompa Loompas sing a little song about how children's misbehavior is why they should die. (laughs) A little song? I honestly thought that 20% of this book was Oompa Loompa songs. I had never read the book before, or maybe I hadn't just suppressed or repressed or, you know, purposely forgotten 90% of it. There was a bunch in here just like, oh, I don't remember this. (laughs) So by virtue of the fact that Charlie is the only good child who doesn't he do anything the bad, factory. he inherits the whole factory and his whole family is invited to come and live in the factory. Uh, the end. Right. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's talk about all of the problems now. <laughs> all right, I think we should probably start with the Oompa Loompa, shouldn't we? Yeah. So the Oompa Loompas come from a magical country that's not real, but of course, Willy Wonka says it is. And he made them a deal because they were being hunted to near extinction by the other animals that lived in this magical place. And he said, well, how about I take you and you can all come and be my indentured servants and you will just work for me, but at least you won't die. The end. Oh, and also they love cocoa beans. So that's also exciting. Um, <sighs> sure. And the entire population moves to the factory, which is, of course, mm -hmm. how he's able to reopen the factory without ever unlocking the gates. Yeah. I mean, you have to assume that even when the book was first published, nobody blinked at this idea that we basically... <laughs> I know that it's couched in the idea that Willy Wonka is doing a selfless thing, right? Like well, he is saving an entire like population. Like every colonizer ever. <laughs> it's just, it's wild. Like I cannot read this and fathom that nobody said, ooh, are we sure we want to do this? Also, this book is set in the UK. Like, do you really want to go down this path? So I think it's really now important to talk about the revised text. So the 1964 version... The Oompa Loompas are literal, like, pygmies. They're guineas, yeah. From Africa. Yeah. Literally drawn that way, described that way. If you go to the Wikipedia page, you can read comparisons from mm. the text. And then it was protested. <laughs> well, yeah. So in 1971, the book itself was not protested. But in 1971, when the film adaptation was being made, the NAACP was like, we really want you to think about how you depict these Oompa Loompas. Like, we yes. read the book. We really think you need to think a lot about how you're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And what I find so interesting, and this is not letting Doll off the hook, but I think understanding the history is really interesting. Right. Doll decided to publish a revised edition mm -hmm. based on the NAACP's critiques. He actually, like, he, he took it under them. advisement. Yeah. He did. And so he rewrites that section so that now they're not from Africa anymore. They are from this magical land. They're not, they're actually fully described as being white with golden brown hair. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it better. They're clearly enslaved people. Yes. And there's clearly like the context of sort of like, you know, the white man's burden and mm -hmm. caring for these poor populations who don't know how to look after themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Like all of that is still there. Yeah. But the reason I wanted to talk about the fact that it's actually Dahl's revision where the biggest changes come is because people are so mad about these 2023 puffin versions of the text where they take out, you know, even more of the stuff around – you know, they remove references to spanking the kids and they remove the right. stuff about Augustus being super fat and things. Like, I know people are are always up in arms about, you know, editing existing texts, but it's important mm -hmm. to note that, like, Roald Dahl took feedback and He's edited his this. own text. Like, he already believed that times change. He could be wrong. It mm -hmm. could be okay to revise a text. And we never seem to remember that part when we're having these conversations. And I think... I actually think it's a disservice to a doll that we just say, oh, well, you can't change the original text when the man himself was actually really open to changing the original text. Mm -hmm. And also, we're not condoning a lot of the other problems that no. doll has as a public figure. Like, again, go back and listen to the witches episode. We talk Definitely. about problems that he had. Yeah, we'll just say it. He's an anti-Semite and all yes. this other jazz. But yeah, like it's not letting him off the hook for his personal beliefs, but in terms of his creative output, this was already a process he had engaged in. So, like, let's not pretend that the outrage is justified now. No, exactly. Like, I, and I think it's really interesting to note that this is an example of a public figure who could be brought to critique and not, mm -hmm. like, quadruple down and become an alt-right hero, but instead say, like, oh, yeah, actually, you're right. I'm just going to make that change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody has access to the 1964 text unless you have a copy you bought then, pretty much. Right. Every revised text is either now the 1973 or the new Puffin version. Hmm. And and I think, you know, I just wish people could keep that context in mind when they get all up in arms. Because the reality is that, like, moving on from the Oompa Loompas, not mm -hmm. sidelining the importance of that, but, like, there's a lot in this text, in the 1973 revised text, that still makes it hard to read. Like, sure. The way he writes about Augusta, oh, the way boy. he writes about lots of the characters takes you out of the world of the text. And I think 
In revising the book in 1973, that's really what Dahl was trying to do, right? Like, I don't want you to move out of the text because something feels so off. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to me that we're continuing to make those kinds of changes. Right. Because even in the, in the 2005 film, it feels really off to have, you know, one of the first lines we hear about the other children who have won tickets is mm -hmm. one of the grandparents, not Grandpa Joe, Grandpa George, is like, oh, I bet he's going to be fat. I bet whatever the other kid is going to be is going to be fat. Mark my mm -hmm. words. And like, it feels off there too. And it, I just, I don't know. It's okay to change things because times change. It's all right. We'll yeah. all survive it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So covered the Umpalumpas. Do we want to talk a little bit more about the depiction of these children? Because you started us down that path and that was the thing that really took me out this time is mm -hmm. just how freaking judgy the book is about <laughs> so like judgy. what makes a good child versus what makes a bad child. Oh my gosh. And it is interesting how strongly the book condemns the parents as well. Like mm -hmm. I think it's worth noting that because it's definitely like <laughs> these horrible kids were made horrible by someone and the book's very comfortable pointing fingers at the parents. Mm -hmm. I just think it's not like it's not an equal spectrum. You no. know, when I look at Baruka, I'm like, this is unabashedly the worst child of the bunch. But it's just because she's spoiled, right? Like she needs to have parents who will say no and mm -hmm. institute boundaries and be like, just because we're rich doesn't mean you get everything you want. But like, Mike being addicted to television you know augustus gloop it's like okay you know maybe we need to monitor his eating habits a touch but at the same time like if he's comfortable if his family is comfortable sure and then i i don't understand the issue with violet i'm like okay <laughs> she just likes gum <laughs> okay <laughs> and it's interesting right because the film really plays up the idea that she's like super competitive and her mom is super competitive the yeah. 2005 film to give her more because you're right like a contemporary audience is like what are you okay, talking about, Wills? I also like gum. <laughs> I just think it's yeah. really interesting because Dahl is obviously very committed to this notion of the deserving poor. And to make mm. it so clear that Charlie deserves a better life, we have to be shown these kids who are all wealthy, right? All the right. other kids are wealthy. Mm -hmm. And look how gross and awful they are, these wealthy kids. They don't deserve anything like what Charlie deserves and has nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just a very boring way to make that point to be to be perfectly honest like yeah the other weird thing to me and this really becomes focalized when you can see the children visually in both of the film adaptations but like again sorry i'm hung up on the logistics of how the contest works and how the factory <laughs> brings people in because i'm just like we only seem to see kids from either the UK, Germany, or America. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, okay, so apparently no child in the world exists in Asia or Africa. Like, white, white, white. You know, it's really interesting how the Anglosphere imaginary is really shaped by the notion of colonization. And mm -hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a really uh, weird aside but okay. it, it ties in. So last night I was watching the Great Canadian Baking Show. Love because it. Because my child is obsessed with baking competitions. Ah. So it's patisserie week. So I'm a few weeks out. Mm -hmm. And one of the judges who set the challenge for the technical, like named this dessert that nobody had heard of. And okay. when they cut to him explaining why he had chosen it, he's like, you know, it doesn't have to be French to be patisserie. There's pastry shops all over the world. And this dessert that he has having them made happened to be from Uruguay. Oh, but his fun. point was so interesting because it was like, I just assume that all patisserie is French mm -hmm. patisserie, right? Like, that's just what my brain does. And, sure. you know, that's the, the, the role of colonization and the way world powers shape the way we think. But mm -hmm. the reason I mentioned that is because I had the same experience when I was reading this, which was... You know, even in the 2005 film, we get told about how international it all is, right? Mm -hmm. And in the 2000 film, we do see a kid in Japan buying a bar of chocolate, for example. Yep. But again, all the winners are still from, mm -hmm. yeah, as you say, Germany, the UK, and the US, basically. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. And even when, even when in the 2005 film, we get told he's going to all the candy capitals of the world, they're like... Mm -hmm. shows a canadian flag for some reason i was like really i know i know 
It just, it's a little bit wild. And I do think you're right. It's almost a constraint of imagination. Mm -hmm. Like, well, when we think of popular places, like it almost would have made more sense to me if we had said, okay, yeah, we're going to the most popular candy consuming places. And maybe that excludes certain places that just aren't known for their interest in chocolate because really that's the predominant sort of sweet that we're going for even though we do talk about gobstoppers and gum and other things as well but uh i mean i could understand it with the book and maybe a little less so with the movie because the movie is really following on the heels like that first one was from 1971 so it's not that far out but the 2005 film i was just like there were plenty of opportunities (laughs) but as you said they were projecting this aura of well we're not doing the mistakes that the first film made quote unquote because we're being more reverent to the text which means essentially you're retroactively (laughs) doing a 1964 movie it's weird I do want to say in the spirit of, you know, adaptation and revision and rewriting, mm-hmm. something that I meant to mention when we were talking about the Oompa Loompas is, did you know that Taika Waititi is making an animated series about the Oompa Loompas? Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm very curious about how that's going to look, because how do you, you know, obviously Taika Waititi is very interested in telling sort of decolonized stories of mm-hmm. colonized histories, but like... I don't know how you decolonize the Oompa Loompas. Like, they're deeply colonized people. I think you could do it as a prequel. So before they get taken to the factory. (laughs) How is that not bleak? The end of this, you live in a factory. Oh, boy. Yeah. A whole whole culture moves into that factory. How big is this factory? It's massive, Brenna. You see it in both these films. I mean, (laughs) the other thing is that we're meant to hand wave it away because their quality of life has been improved, even though we, as adults who are concerned about colonization, look at this and say, nope. (laughs) They've just traded out being, you know, killed by predators to being forced to work for the rest of their lives in every successive generation. I mean, at least we never get to see an Oompa Loompa child working in the factory because that just would have been a bridge too far. <laughs> this is true. Are there any other sort of troubling things you want to talk about? Uh, no, no, I mean, I don't feel like we've been necessarily mean to the book, but are there things mm. that you like about it in terms of storytelling or characters or? Yeah, I, I mean, I find it to be a very pleasurable read for the most part when you get away from those <laughs> the the sort of problem areas we've talked about like right when you avoid the landmines the story like i i like the flights of fantasy yeah. when we finally get to the factory there's just a lot of very visually compelling components and doll is really good at describing the worlds he creates you know we talked about that in the witches too like you can really find yourself believing in this totally unbelievable place mm-hmm I think it was helped for me too. I listened to the audiobook version of this, which the downside was I didn't get Quentin Blake's illustrations. But the Ah. upside was that the voice actor who was narrating is actually the actor who played Willy Wonka in the London stage musical of Charlie Mm. and the Chocolate Factory. And so it was really good. (laughs) Like it was really compelling. It was really easy to listen to. So I would recommend that if folks haven't checked it out before. And I also think, I don't know, hearing some of the descriptions instead of having to linger over them on the page without illustrations Mm. is honestly kind of helpful interesting Mm -hmm. okay yeah i'm gonna talk about my audiobook experience next week and i (laughs) don't have the same experience (laughs) no no i think i mean the narrator matters so much and the type of text matters so much Mm -hmm. no it's very very true um but yeah no i don't think there's anything else i want to talk about with the book do you want to transition to talking about the films Absolutely. I'd like a bar of chocolate, please. My dear friends, you are now about to enter the nerve center to the entire Wonka factory. Inside this room, all of my dreams become realities, and some of my realities become dreams. Boys and girls, the chocolate room. Come with me, and you'll be in a world your imagination take a look and you'll see into your imagination what is this Wonka? some kind of fun house why having fun we are the music makers 
and we are the dreamers of dreams. How did you like the chocolate factory, Charlie? I think it's the most wonderful place in the whole world. All aboard, everybody. So shines a good deed in a weary world. This is kind of strange. Yes, but it's fun. <laughs> Charlie, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. What happened? He lived happily ever after. Okay, so let's begin with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. This is from 1971. It's directed by Mel Stewart. And the fun thing about this is when you look, it says the screenplay is credited to Roald Dahl, but he actually... <laughs> he hates it so much. <laughs> yeah, he basically uh, completely divorced the film because he doesn't consider it a successful work, but he left during the production over creative differences. So he basically said, here's parts of the book that you can include in the film and then he walked away so the reality is that the screenplay was written by david seltzer and then there were touch-ups by robert kaufman who scripted the golden ticket hysteria sequences and i think that those are genius it's yes one of the funniest parts of the film for me oh my god absolutely so the songs were done by Leslie Brickus and Anthony Newley. And Brenda, this film had a budget of $3 million in 1971, and it only grossed four. So That's this bad, is a right? big old bomb. Oh, it's too bad. But of course, it becomes a cult hit after the fact. And basically, it's because of video. Mm. You know, this kind of languishes to the point where people in Germany didn't even know that a film adaptation had been made until the 90s, when all of a sudden things start to come out on VHS and then DVD. Which is hilarious because it was filmed in Germany. It was filmed in Germany, yeah, because they needed a compelling location in terms of the actual factory. Mm -hmm. And they ended up finding it there after looking at a bunch of different places. It, it's funny because the final shot that you see when the golden elevator goes up above the town, it's like, oh, that is so not London or yeah. anywhere in the UK, right? <laughs> yep, absolutely. Just absolutely gorgeous. That town looks super cute. Um, okay. So, yes, we've got Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. It was interesting. Apparently, they... You know, they tested a bunch of very famous people and they wanted somebody who was going to play this in an eccentric fashion, but they also didn't want to go with an unknown. So they kind of settled on Wilder, who was most well known for Mel Brooks as the producers at this point. And this was one of the things that really upset Dahl. He had been really pushing for Spike Milligan, who's an yeah. Irish comedian, someone my mom adores, not famous in North America. No, <laughs> I, I was like, who? Why yeah. did we want this person? Still didn't know him even <laughs> when I clicked the link. <laughs> yeah, but that's who Dahl really, really wanted. Um, mm. And that, so that was one of the reasons why he walked away. And interestingly, Peter Sellers mm -hmm. really pushed for the role. So it's interesting that it ended up being Gene Wilder because these are like... I yeah. don't know, two of the most British people ever, and they ended up going with Gene Wilder. It is interesting. I could definitely imagine Peter Sellers, yes. who, of course, plays Inspector Clouseau in all the Pink Panther movies. I think he would have been a very solid choice as well. But I wonder if they wanted somebody who didn't carry that same kind of baggage with him, like in terms of bringing that established character. Well, because one of the things I was reading is that Gene Wilder had this whole like plan for that introductory scene where he arrives. Mm. Um, it was non-negotiable. It was yeah. that or they wouldn't be able to cast him. And that wouldn't have worked with an actor who maybe was better known for physical comedy in, in the kind of context that we're talking about. So mm -hmm. incidentally, all six members of Monty Python also wanted to play Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> would have been a very I mean, I was just like, a really rude Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't really recognize a ton of the other people in the cast. I can go through it. I guess the one I wanted to highlight was uh, Henry Salt. That's Veruca's father, because I was just like, he looks so familiar. Not because I've seen this movie a billion times, which I have, but he's played by Roy Kinnear, and that is the father of established screen and television actor Rory Kinnear. So wow. uh, his son ends up going on to become famous. They look so similar. Oh, weird. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah as i said this movie doesn't do particularly well but it does gain a certain amount of notoriety like a bunch of people in horror circles will point out the gateway horror of the boat sequence mm. for its hallucinogenic sort of surreal uh visuals it's scary it's super scary. The Oompa Loompas are a combination of 10 different actors that they cast from around the world. There is a female Oompa Loompa, which I was kind of happy to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fun facts like the Chocolate River, which does not look at all convincing, was apparently completely disgusting. <laughs> it sounded awful. Oh, I do want to <laughs> note, Joe, about the Oompa Loompas that we should note the filmmakers did listen to that NAACP letter. They completely remove the racial connotations from the characters by making them orange and green mm-hmm. whether or not you find that successful um there's also much less discussion of the colonial aspect of where they've come from that comes yes. back again in the 2005 film in the in this film they're just kind of there mm-hmm. yeah i actually think that the the visual changes they make to them make them look otherworldly and a mm-hmm. better fit for the world of the factory like agree they're surreal yeah, like when we see them in the chocolate room with the lake that Augustus ends up drinking from, they feel like a perfect marriage in terms of the visual symmetry that we're already seeing. Like there's something not quite believable about everything in that room where it's all edible. And interestingly enough, most of that room, I think not most, but I think it was something like 50% of it actually was edible. Yeah, I bet it was so gross. That must have been under like stage lights and people been touching it and stuff yeah. every time i think about what it must have just felt like from like a humidity perspective in that room super mm. grossed out <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know i mean i'm curious you said you hadn't seen this film before right Never had. nope not at all which is fun because i think i'm coming to this conversation without the kind of nostalgia that a lot of people come to when they compare the two texts right yeah yeah because I, I grew up watching this movie. I've seen it so, so many times. Like, as soon as the songs start, I'm just like, yes, this banger. Um, <laughs> I mean, banger within context, obviously. They're not going to chart on the top 40 or anything. But they're very fun. Like, I think this movie is very, very fun. And I honestly think that Wilder is just perfection in this so, role. Wilder kills it because... I love the ways in which he's irritated by the children, but doesn't hate them. Mm-hmm. He's sort of like annoyed by the fact that he's all his worst assumptions about them are being proven right. Like you kind of right. get this sense of like he would have liked to be wrong, which is why he's so happy at the end with Charlie. Mm-hmm. I also love that it's a musical. Like I think it works right. super well as a musical yes. here. I really liked the Oompa Loompa dances. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're much more choreographed in the 2005 version oh yes mm-hmm. to a point that i i don't think makes a lot of sense like no they're factory workers like <laughs> this is just them like <laughs> they're not backup dancers what are we doing <laughs> it's more of like a snow white and the seven dwarfs whistle while you work kind of vibe in this movie right. which works for me um and yeah. i think the visual world works really well i i think that the strength is definitely gene wilder and the sort of heart mm-hmm. he brings to it but yeah, no, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed this watch. I wasn't expecting to, and I don't mean that in like a negative way. I just, we've talked about this before with coming to a text that you've already seen like 12 parodies of, but never the mm-hmm. original. It can often right. be like, all right, I guess I'll sit through this now. Um, but I didn't feel that way at all. I really enjoyed my experience of watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I'm so steeped in nostalgia. I might as well be a tea because... <laughs> You know, this and I think Angela Lansbury in Bedknobs and Broomsticks were Mm. just absolute mainstay staples because in some ways this is completely inoffensive aside from all the problematic aspects of it. Like it's so easy to just plop children down in front of this and say, yeah, you're going to be completely engrossed in this for 90 minutes because look at the world that we have created. Mm -hmm. It's just so fun to watch. And it's such a beautiful contrast to – the world that Charlie lives in is really bleak, Yeah, but it's believably bleak. It's extremely realistic, I think, mm-hmm. compared to what's going to come next, which is a very different choice than Tim Burton makes in 2005. Sure. Um, and I think it works really well because you're wishing for so much better for Charlie right mm-hmm. from the beginning. And so when everything does work out for him in the end, it's great. And I'm also interested in the moral messaging in the book and this adaptation because we get told in both of these versions that the kids are like 
probably fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and in the in this film version, there's sort of this moment when they're in the glass elevator and they're above the town, and Wonk is like, "Look, there they are. They're all fine. One of them's too stretched out, but he's fine." Oh no, that's the next one. No, they're, they he like we don't see it, but he tells them like they they're fine. Everybody's right, fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. But in the in the 2005, which I know we're about to get to. We see everyone and everyone is physically fine, but also not one of those children has learned a lesson, right? Like right. they're very careful to note that all those children are exactly as horrible with all the same character flaws that they went into the factory with. Mm. And I'm very curious about that choice because here it's kind of like, well, you know, bad things happen to you if you're bad, but good things happen to you for good. Right. There is, there's this sort of notion of like the unchangeableness of someone's character in the later version that I'm, I find kind of curious, but yeah, mm-hmm. no, all this to say, I, I think that um, you're right. There's a hugely attractive visual world here and the scares are not, I mean, they're scary, but they're contextualized and they're right. short. I think it does a really good job of not making you feel, you feel scared sometimes, but you never feel like unsettled. I don't think. Yeah. And I don't think the movie overstays its welcome, right? No. Like it knows that, we it knows exactly where it's going so even though we are still spending a good first half of the film just getting charlie to the ticket and we're still drawing things out just like in the book you know by the time we introduce these horrible quote-unquote children and get to the factory we move through it at a pretty brisk clip and i think that also helps to feel like we're ramping things up but uh brenda before we leave the 71 version should we talk about the changes and how you think they do or don't impact the book because you mentioned the ending but it's like we actually have no squirrels with veruca we also have a sequence where Charlie and Grandpa Joe drink fizzy lifting drinks, and that almost costs them the factory until Charlie returns the everlasting gobstopper at the end. And I wonder, do these changes, I don't know, affect the way you look at the film? Or is it just kind of like, oh, we made changes? Well, I think it's a definite key difference, right? Because in the book, Charlie wins the factory by virtue of the fact that Charlie is always good. Like, mm-hmm. he just, he never steps out of line. He doesn't do what people don't expect. He's right. kind. He thinks about other people. He wins the factory. In the film version, Charlie and Grandpa Joe do step out of line. They yeah. drink, yeah, they drink the bubbling soda and they go floating off. And so it's an interesting choice to make Charlie. He's not perfect, right? He's not perfect. And it's almost like a test that he's going through, right? And he has stolen an everlasting gobstopper. That's like the thing well he doesn't steal it they were all given one and the choice was made whether or not they will then give it to what they believe is a spy for another candy company right okay so at the end when he hasn't when he returns his to wonka that's what allows him to win the factory so mm-hmm. it's more of like a moral test yeah. happening than what we have in the book i kind of like that well i think it's just a stronger moral message like it makes sense for a children's film to have that Mm -hmm. um especially with all the kind of uh sort of questionable other characters we have this demonstration of his (laughs) goodness and it also allows charlie to have misbehaved without sort of impeaching his moral character which Mm -hmm. i think is nice yeah i do have an issue though because i mean this is always my least favorite sequence of the Mm -hmm. film like i just don't enjoy it in terms of like i think visually it looks fine considering this is 1971 some of the compositing like the special effects are actually pretty amazing i just don't enjoy watching him and grandpa joe do this like flying burping thing like it feels very juvenile very for children but it always reminds me that the other children never get an opportunity to actually make amends exactly. for what they do. And it's yeah. like, well, why does Charlie get the opportunity to act out and then burp his way out of trouble? Whereas it's like, oh, I guess uh, Violet chews a piece of gum and deserves to be a blueberry. <laughs> well, it's almost like it can't decide. I think the film doesn't 100% know whether to go with the inherent morality that's happening in the book Mm -hmm. or the idea that we get choices and so instead it does both which ends up being a little bit incoherent for exactly that reason right like what what is the message what are we actually trying to say (laughs) because if it's really about the choices we make and making up for our bad choices then yeah the other children should also have the opportunity and they don't Mm -hmm. so yeah i do think that that's um 
that's i don't know yeah a problem maybe but it doesn't bother me sure really because i don't think it ruins the movie by no, any stretch it 100% doesn't yeah yeah my final observation that i just noticed on this rewatch because i haven't watched this movie i think as an adult like i watched it a lot when i was a kid mm-hmm. do you think that wonka wants to have sex with miss tv because they're making f eyes at each <laughs> other this whole movie <laughs> it's very important we never see mr tv <laughs> I did not get that. Okay, okay. I think Ivanka is quite sexless, actually. <laughs> fair, um, fair. But, uh, yeah, Okay, okay. <laughs> well, why don't we talk about the 2005 Tim Burton movie? Okay. Have you ever seen a single person going into that factory? There must be people working there. The only thing that comes out of that place is the candy. I'd give anything in the world just to go in that amazing factory. Dear people of the world, I, Willy Wonka, have decided to allow five children to visit my factory. Five golden tickets have been hidden underneath the wrapping paper of five ordinary Wonka bars. Wouldn't it be something, Charlie, to open a bar of candy and find a golden ticket? But I only get one bar a year. Nothing's impossible. You found Wonka's last golden ticket. From director Tim Burton. Please enter. Who are you? He's Willy Wonka. <gasps> I'm Tyler Beauregard. I don't care. I want a snoop, a last of chocolate. I can see that. I am very result. Daddy, I want another pony. You're my TV. Die, die, die! <laughs> okay. And you. Well, you're just lucky to be here, aren't you? Welcome to the factory. Warner Brothers invites you to enter a whole new world. Unlike anything you've ever imagined. It's beautiful. Where dreams are your reality. Look over there. They're in Olympus. Back off, you little freaks. I do say that all seemed rather rehearsed. You're really weird. And Willy Wonka. Let's boogie. Is your guide. okay so i am gonna go through this because most people will probably recognize the members of this cast because it's a little more contemporary so director tim burton we've got screenwriter john august who burton had worked with on big fish we've got danny elfman doing all of the music and songs even contributing the voice of the oompa loompas big budget here 150 million but we get it back threefold so this grosses 450 million internationally it's tim burton's second biggest film of all time oh i didn't know that after alice in wonderland and the reason i was trepidatious going into this so you probably remember last week if you were listening i sounded very unenthusiastic about having to watch this and it's because it was giving me alice in wonderland vibes mm-hmm. and i really dislike the visual look of that film okay surprisingly enough i actually didn't mind this film i think it has some issues but overall i secretly enjoyed myself i think more works here than doesn't I feel like you're going to disagree. But before we get into that, (laughs) let's go through the cast. So yes, we have problematic, should be canceled Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka, that Anna Wintour bowl cut, I cannot, but whatever. (laughs) We've got Freddie Highmore, his co-star from Finding Neverland as Charlie Bucket, good inspired casting, I like him a lot. David Kelly as Grandpa Joe, Helena Bonham Carter as Mrs. Bucket, Noah Taylor as Mr. Bucket, Missy Pyle, who I love in everything, as uh, Mrs. Beauregard, James Fox as Mr. Salt. Deep Roy plays all of the Oompa Loompas. There's about 120 of them, but of course, it's just the one actor who plays all of them. And uh, Burton is on record as saying he was the hardest working for the film because of the different dance numbers, which each took a month for him to learn and then perform. There's like six of them. But he also had to look exactly the same throughout. So he had to stick to a very strict diet regiment in order to perform this role it's weird it's very weird i'm not sure it's effective (laughs) i don't like the oompa loompa stuff at all in this movie 
It seems like a lot of work for something that I didn't love, but okay. Yeah, this to me feels the most juvenile. Like, this is going to be visually appealing for a very young audience. And I don't know. Folks, if you have kids or if you are younger than Brenna and I, I'd be curious to know if this was a big slam dunk for you. But as an adult, I was just like, this is a perplexing choice and I don't really care for it. Well, the other thing is that it, I mean, there's no way to watch the Oompa Loompas without assuming that they're clones. Like, right. Mm-hmm. So in a way, they should seem more otherworldly than in the 71 film, mm-hmm. but they don't. They don't. And we have a much longer meditation on the rescue of the Oompa Loompas. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, what is happening here? I don't, they're almost more racialized yes, here. Yes, absolutely. Than the 71 film? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, I found the whole thing very confusing and it didn't work for me at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the visual depiction of the rescue of the Oompa Loompas and, you know, Johnny Depp getting to do his trademark wackadoodle performance. Like, again, I think part of it really works for me. Like, some of his reactions, his vocal affectation, I think is quite amusing. And then there were whole other times where I just kept saying to Brian, what are we doing right now? <laughs> so it's it's a mixed bag. But yeah, for me, the Oompa Loompa stuff is definitely the weakest part of this film, which is troubling because again, this is a very, very white cast. So mm-hmm. this is our person of color for the entire film. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have Christopher Lee as Dr. Wonka. This would be Willy Wonka's father, who is yeah. a dentist. And this is an original creation for the film apparently the roll doll estate was not in love with this but they decided to allow it and it was in part to flesh out the character and make him seem less like an eccentric weirdo yeah okay it's fine i think it does provide a little bit of shading to wonka as a character but i also think it kind of unnecessarily drags out the runtime of the film and I don't know. It, it feels very Tim Burton-y to me. I guess for me, and this is not great given that we're going to be watching Wonka in the new year, but like, mm-hmm. I don't need a backstory for Willy Wonka. Like, sure. I don't need it at all. And between that and the weird like Michael Jackson-esque affectation mm-hmm. of the presentation of the character, I just... There are things I really liked about this film. Like, I actually think the visual world works really well. And I agree with you that Freddie Highmore is an exceptional Charlie Bucket. Yeah. I actually also really like the warmth of the grandparents, too. I think they're all done extremely well, the family in general. Mm -hmm. But I did not like this portrayal of Willy Wonka at all. And to just give him more to do and more extended backstory, I was like, who asked for this? I want this. Yeah, apparently it was better received upon release in 2005, and then it has grown more divisive over time. So there's a bunch of people who either really like this film because they feel it's more authentically true to the original source material, or they just think, you know, it's kind of wacky and fun, and it's doing a lot of things that the original didn't because we've got a much bigger budget to play around with. Mm -hmm. I do want to praise Burton's creative decision from the visual aesthetic point of view. He didn't want to do very much CGI. So apart from the boat and the replication of Deep Roy, we're not actually seeing much CGI here. So a lot of what we're seeing, particularly on the Pinewood Estates where they filmed this, so this is all soundstage work, this is actual practical stuff. And I think the film looks better for it as a result. I agree with you. And I think it's actually one of the things that doesn't work so dramatically about the Oompa Loompas is mm-hmm. that they aren't like CGI replicants in a world of CGI replicants. They're, yeah. they're CGI replicants in a world of largely practical effects. So like when Deep Roy is dancing on the conveyor belts or on the wiring, mm-hmm. it just it looks bad. It looks really fake. Yeah. 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 And so much else is done so well that it stands out even more. Exactly. And we've already got all this cloning stuff to deal with. So it's like, oh, Jesus. Uh, Yeah. Um, Okay. So you seem to scoff when we were talking earlier about this being a quote unquote more faithful adaptation. What is your issue with that? I don't understand the decision to make Wonka hate children and the concept of family so much. The man runs a candy factory <laughs> it doesn't make <laughs> any sense to me and particularly especially because the film is so careful to not have 
Charlie go through the moral test of the 71 version. And Mm -hmm. instead, you know, from the beginning, it's clear that he's going to be the one who wins the factory. Oh, absolutely. It almost feels like Wonka fed him the ticket because he wanted him to inherit the factory. (laughs) And so for him to then so profoundly misunderstand Charlie himself by being like, all you have to do is abandon your family. It's going to be fine. It's so, it's such a weird choice to me. And I think it undercuts a lot of what is happening elsewhere in the text. Like, I just don't think that, I don't think it was necessary. I guess that's really where I I am with it. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it added anything. And it was always obvious that like, he was never going to leave his family. Like, we've seen from the beginning of the film, how careful Charlie is to consider his family and everything Mm -hmm. he does. So it's a weird, unnecessary additional tension. Right. And it just drags the film out like way more than necessary. Because I was done. I had enjoyed many parts of it. I'd enjoyed the visual world. Mm-hmm. But I was finished with the film. Right. And then we have to have this whole like <laughs> travel to the Arctic to meet the dentist father bit. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I guess it gave Johnny Depp mm-hmm. more depth to the character. I guess I don't like Johnny Depp. He's not a compelling watch for me anyway. So that wasn't like a selling feature. Mm -hmm. And like, I could not shake the idea that there's this weird Michael Jackson thing going on with the performance, which I know that Depp has since said he doesn't understand. And Burton has said that's not what was happening. But like, oh, the weird voice (laughs) and like the skin tone, the dark hair, the skin tone. Yeah. The gloves. Yeah. Like the fact that. Michael Jackson literally campaigned to be cast as Willy Wonka and even cut apparently his own soundtrack that they wanted to release until he was not chosen to play the role, in which case he got rid of it. And like Burton has said, there's no connection here. No, come on. And his response was, well, but this Willy Wonka hates children. Michael Jackson didn't hate children. I'm like, yeah, that even makes this more confusing. (laughs) why does he need to hate children does he need to hate children just so you can say it's definitely not michael jackson the whole thing feels really weird and i guess you know it's hard not to bring in the cultural conversation around johnny depp and Mm -hmm. i was trying really hard not to as i watched it it's tricky right because in 2005 he was quite literally one of the biggest actors on the planet this was immediately in the wake of pirates of the caribbean so he was the perfect person to cast for this because it was a guaranteed financial slam dunk. But watching this from a contemporary lens, what we know of the actor now, it is really hard to divorce yourself from that. Yes. I don't know what what to do with these disparate pieces. I think that's part of what I was left with at the end of the film is like, as I say, there are things that I really liked, although Tim Burton's inability to not Tim Burton up a situation (laughs) means Mm. that we don't have that clear distinction between the world of Charlie and the world of the factory. Right. Charlie's house is also absurd, right? It's on a total angle. Like it's a, it's a Tim Burton representation of poverty. And I get that, but it means that we don't have that clear Charlie lives in the bleakness of reality and the factory is something other. Mm. Everybody here lives in the otherness. Yeah. It's a very Edward Scissorhands depiction but also, interestingly enough, like this is meant to be an ode to Roald Dahl's writing shack. So apparently oh, yeah. he had a separate section of the the yard that he would retire to and he would write in it. And this is meant to be a visual representation of that. And you're like, oh, okay. But it also, you're 100% right. It looks like a Tim Burton location. Yeah, so I think... There are things that I really like. I think the factory is great. Like, I think everything to do with the factory is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I was grateful for the practical effects because I think that they work really, really well. And I think that aspect of the movie will age well well. in a way that, like, the replicant Oompa Loompas doesn't. Yep. So it's it's not that I hated the movie or had a hard time with it, but I really... Between the Michael Jackson-y thing and my (laughs) general dislike of Johnny Depp anyway, and the need to have this whole, like, I hate the concept of families bit that I didn't really want (laughs) or need. (laughs) And then that is what ends up dragging out the film. If the film had ended where we expect it to end, I think I would have liked it a lot more overall. Right. Um, But my last, what I'm left with at the end of the film is actually all the things about the film that that I didn't like. So it's like, oh. Oh, okay. That's fair. 
That's yeah. fair. Okay, shall we play some YA bingo about this? Let's do it. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right, so we've got three texts to work with. We should do reasonably well. How did you come about? So we've got ableism and abuse. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, and um, we sort of have some dead bodies mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. In the film, we didn't even say this, but in the first film, Charlie's dad is actually killed off. He doesn't just work in a crappy job. He just doesn't. He's dead. Yeah. We are obviously on borrowed time, right? Because as the children start to get ticked off one by one, <laughs> we know that we're ticking down to only Charlie, which of course gives a chosen one vibe. I think in particular in the book and the Tim Burton film, there's much more of a sense of like he is the chosen one. Whereas right. in the 71 version, he actually does have to prove himself, but that never has to happen in the other two. Yes. And I think most of the 2005 film is stunt casting, or a lot of it anyway. <laughs> uh, several people, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. We obviously have a ton of montage in both films. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And musicality yep. for the 71 film. I actually really missed the musical aspects. I thought the Oompa Loompa songs were a lot <sighs> less fun and a lot less playful in the 2005 and because there's no other singing Mm -hmm. they do feel kind of disjointed and out of place so i preferred it as a musical i'll just say it yeah it's interesting right because they chose deliberately not to do it in one style of music so elfman was encouraged to vary the types of songs but they did want to try to use not all but many elements from the oompa loompa songs in the book and i like the diversity but Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I think it also means you're probably more likely to only enjoy one of the songs as opposed to all of the songs, and nobody else gets to do anything, so it just often feels very like, oh, and now it's a weird musical, but only for this 30 seconds. And there's nothing that sticks. Like, none of those songs have the earworm power of boom-ba, boom-ba, boom-ba-dee-dee, right? Like, (laughs) that's just, that's in your head forever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I actually want to flag Magic Supernatural here because I actually think this is another big difference about the film, the 2005 Tim Burton film. Okay. It really leans into the idea that Wonka is magical. Right. Like in the book and in the 71, it's really just that he he invents things that are impossible. So obviously there's like a supernatural vibe to it. But Mm -hmm. like Wonka in, in Burton's world actually comes from a long line of magical people. Like even his dentist father is able to magic their house to the North Pole to get away from his son. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't even thought of that. (laughs) Yeah. So it's interesting because he's more like a a zany inventor in the other two stories, whereas he he seems to actually be magic in Tim Burton's world. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see which way the prequel is going to go. Yeah, that'll be interesting for sure. I do think it'll be flights of fancy, but... Yeah, you know what? I I can't even finish that thought. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know what? I only have one other one, which was Inclusion Flip. And it's maybe oh, yeah. even a questionable choice for Deep Roy. But, you know, we're, we're going from either Orange Face or Golden White or Guinea into Indian. So it's yeah. it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice that was made. <laughs> hmm I think we're supposed to feel there's a good friendship between Wonka and Charlie at the end. I'm not sure it works in all three texts, but no. I, I think we're supposed to find it. Yeah, I'm not comfortable giving it that because I think that there's, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, also a bit of a creepy vibe in the way that Wonka is meant to be a stunted adult who has more in common with children, but it's still plays like as as much as i love gene wilder there are moments where the way that he looks at charlie i was just like there's a there's a creepy predatory vibe thing going on right now yeah you're not wrong and i guess to a certain extent his hatred of children in the tim burton version undercuts that quite a Mm -hmm. bit but then he lays on this added layer of literally just being michael jackson so i don't know i don't know i don't know Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all this to say, we did get a single line. Yay! There we go. Okay, so Brenna, we we have done another triple text episode. Here we go. So, um, <laughs> yeah, people have thoughts about 
Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. What should they do? Yeah, you can find us on most social media at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you personally? I can be reached at B still my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's gray with an A. And uh, if you have anything long form to send us, you can always find us on email, hkhspod at gmail.com. Joe, Mm -hmm. we have one last episode in 2023. Truly, yeah. We're going to take the last week of the year off because we're tired and yeah and and we're allowed we're allowed joe and i never think of just not making the show Mm -hmm. (laughs) and particularly joe joe is like no matter how many weeks brenna disappears for i'm gonna keep churning out episodes uh so our very last episode is also our holiday special for the year we'll be reading my true love gave to me which is a collection of short stories Mm -hmm. edited actually by stephanie perkins who we have already visited this year um yeah so it'll be a fun one uh pick it up if you get a chance check out a story or two and meet us back here this time next week mm-hmm. so joe uh until next time i will see you in the chocolate factory i mean i don't know how to follow <laughs> that just, so i'll just I say screwed you. <laughs> <laughs> and i will see you on the screen <laughs>